Hello, and welcome to another episode of the How to Scale a Business Podcast. My name is Hector Santi Esteban, and we are here with Mr. Michael McCormick. He is the president and CEO of Full Stack Marketing. And that is just really, that's the, his current iteration of his career. He's had many a career in his lifetime, and we're going to talk about all the ins and outs about marketing for million and even billion dollar companies. So Mike, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Glad to be here. We were talking before, and you can share however much you feel is relevant to the conversation. Before we hit the recording button, you were talking about some of the challenges that you've had, even as of late. I would love for you to fill in the guests on a little bit about your background and history, and then if you feel like your recent journey is relevant to that story, as much as you feel comfortable with. Okay, so if I go back 100 years ago, I came up through corporate America, working primarily in retail on either the sales or the marketing side, sometimes the training side, eventually got roles at very high levels in the C-suite. And for whatever reason, decided that I should go out on my own and give up the protection, I guess, if you want, the comfort zone and the money. And so I started my own agency, built it up where we were doing basically the same work that I was doing as a chief marketing officer. But my primary role within my agency was to act as a fractional chief marketing officer for other companies. The job didn't change, just the the way the role was structured did. And we were doing very, very well. Let's just say I was able to get back and achieve the income levels that I had when I was working for somebody else. And I did it relatively quickly. So that was the good side. And we're on cruise control. We're going along just fine. We got up to having 90 employees at one staff or 90 contractors, but we had a a big team. And then in July of 2020, the part you're referencing is I got COVID, but I didn't get the minor version. I got the ugly version that had me hospitalized for a little bit over three months and rehab for a month, learn how to walk again. And coming out of that, of course, when you're The chief marketing officer, whether it be permanent or fractional, and you can't even speak, everything goes away. So our our revenue went from seven figures to zero overnight. A year later, we were still in that position when I could finally come back to work. So when I did, obviously, I had to make some changes because of my physical disabilities. I hate to call it that, but that's truly what it is, so that I could continue to work and contribute to the success of the clients that I was working with. That's the short story, a little bit of the history that got me there. And now I'm still working as a fractional chief marketing officer for some larger companies. But what I primarily do is work on, say, mid-sized businesses and try to help them by giving them the expertise and knowledge that I acquired over the years of working for these multi-million dollar and billion dollar companies in high level marketing roles. So many different paths, so many different ways that we could take this here. I'm curious though, it could have been so easy for you to just turn it in or maybe not. Maybe there were circumstances that wouldn't have allowed you to just not go back into what you were doing, right? I think that was probably the more onerous of the decisions. Why was it that you decided to go through all of these, I would imagine, challenges or struggles or hardship on top of what you're already going through to get back into the game? What was pulling you towards that? I think boredom would have been one of the areas. I just, I can't be stagnant. I'm a lifelong learner. I'm very active in what I do and I like what I do. 
realizing that I couldn't do it at the same level just meant that how did I adapt it? But my now ex-wife would have told you that if I wasn't working, I'd have been divorced a lot earlier than what it was because I just can't not do something. So I went back into something that I love doing and I'm comfortable with and just set the ground rules about what I could do and how I could effectively utilize what's between my ears, but be careful about you know the amount of time and other things that would be affecting me health-wise. And do you come back with any new perspectives other than doing things differently on a practical or even in a work role or, you know, capacity level? Do you have any new perspectives, ahas? And I guess maybe I'm just looking for like, you know, someone, they went to the end, they saw Jesus and now they come back and they have all the answers to how to market a product or something, you know? So I'm I'm curious if anything has changed in that sort of regard. Okay, well, I was told I was going to die three times, so I don't know if I saw Jesus, but evidently I came pretty close. What I really learned, and it does also impact my business life, is that I accepted mortality because I, I was, you know, I'm not going to live forever. And when it's in your face, it's much different from thinking, well, yeah, I know I'm going to die, but it's going to be 20 years from now, not in seven days. And when I started to look around at everything that I had acquired in life, none of it was going to save me. So I came to the acknowledgement that in order to do my job effectively, I should pay attention to what's important. And typically, even in the business world, and I'm going to come around and say, money is not typically the most important thing in the business. Obviously, you're in business to make money. So that has to be a primary driver, but it's not the top one. It's, you know, are you satisfied with what you're doing? Are you serving a purpose? Can you achieve objectives? And in my role, it's not achieving objectives for me. It's achieving them for my clients. And that's a much different philosophy. So when I came in after recovering as best I could, I spent more time working on effectively using a strategy that may not make you as much money right off the bat, but it would be more sustainable. So over time, you would make more money, just not tomorrow. Yeah, I think that's a big challenge that a lot of, especially newer business owners have, is that they're trading dollars now for that equity later, or they're cashing in all their goodwill. They're cashing it all in, and there's nothing in reserves. So what does that look like? How might they take a little bit more of a longer-term approach to their marketing as opposed to trying to squeeze every dollar out of their customers today? I'm sure the millennials won't necessarily like this, but you know, it's not instant gratification. And when people ask me, I'm semi-retired, I'm living in a very nice area, why? It's because I built myself up to be able to get there. It didn't happen overnight. Well, the same thing with the business. What is your ultimate goal? If your ultimate goal is to make millions of dollars, you can do that. You can start with a small business and grow it. But what else? What are you going to do with that money? How are you going to use it effectively on your side? So as I approached, you know, restarting the business, I really looked at my goals. In my case, goals have nothing to do with money. I think you sort of alluded to it. I don't need to go back to work. I wanted to. So by doing that, I just had a much different perspective. And I think the business owner needs to focus on long-term goals and short-term actions that help them achieve that goal. Build the strategy first, but build the strategy based on where you want to be in five years, not where you want to be tomorrow, because you can't really control tomorrow, nor can you control dogs. (laughs) (laughs) No, you can't. Yeah, fascinating. And I love your models. You know, for me, having models and frameworks has always been the thing that's made things easier or simplified it. And you've 
said something that was brilliant, and that is focus on long-term goals or what some might call results and short-term actions or efforts, right? And I think a lot of times people get them maybe confused or backwards, and they're focusing too much on what are the results in the short term, and that's distracting them from continuing to take those long-term consistent actions that are actually necessary to create you know, the results that they're wanting. True. And if you focus only on short-term activities, there's that old adage of fail fast, you're going to fail. Matter of fact, if you don't, there's a problem. <laughs> you're better you're the only person in the world that's been able to accomplish it, but you're going to have failures. But have them quickly, identify them, move on, make the changes necessary because you still are shooting for that long-term goal. And if you're really focused on the short term, you either be frustrated because of the failures, you won't know how to deal with them, or a lot of people, what they do, and this is at any size company, they think the solution to the problem is throwing more money at it. That's not typically the case. All you do when you throw more money on it is put more stress on your cash flow. You, know, you want to throw the money where it's needed. And in many cases, it's not a money issue. It's something else within the strategy or within the confines of the business that's impacting your results. It is not just money. Otherwise, you know, some of the companies I work for, I say I had an unlimited budget. That's not really true, but I could spend whatever I needed to spend. And most small, especially small businesses, that's not the case. If you say, well, I need another $100,000. Well, you know, if your annual revenue is a half a million, you don't have $100,000 extra to give. Yeah. What's also interesting about the framework that you presented was that the other side of the coin is also not helpful either. Because if you're just focusing on your actions with no mind to where you're going, then you're either going to just spin your wheels or you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. And that's not helpful either. No, data does not lie. It can be interpreted a number of different ways, but you can't look at something and, and have the data suggest route A and be stubborn and say, no, I think B is going to work better. The customer, the consumer, the purchaser is going to tell you what works. You may not like their answers, but they're going to tell you what works. And ultimately, if you're in marketing, we can only get the horse to the water. We can't make them drink it. So that's where the second part comes in. But you've got to do it in a manner that the consumer or the business, you know, it's appealing to them. They want to learn more. They want to be more interested. A lot of times it's just, you know, some of the smaller businesses are adamant about this is the way we have to go. And they ignore the data until the point where it could be too late because they can't reinvent the wheel to that extreme. Yeah. I've even seen in bits and pieces of my past the, I want to say, willful ignorance of the data, right? Or the hiding from the data, which is no better. Mike, this has been a great first half of the conversation. When we get back from break, so much of your job is the strategy. And I'm curious to peek into your brain and see where some businesses are getting it and where some of them are missing it. And so we're going to get into that right after this quick break. Hey, y'all. Thanks for tuning in today. Today's episode is brought to you by Amplify Media. And we are a podcast production company, but we like to think of ourselves as genius makers, or our motto is to bring out your genius. And so if you have a mission, a message, a passion, a purpose, something that you want to get out to the world, but don't have the time or even the tech skills to be able to make it happen, we can help. Go to AmplifyMedia.com. That's A-M-P-L-A-F-Y Media.com. You can also check the show notes for details, and we'll see if we can help. All right, Mike, we've got to squeeze as much of this wisdom out of this interview as we can in, in this last half. One of my favorite questions to ask on the show is, what are people missing? 
I find that people who are experts or consultants or they have you know a lot of knowledge in one field, they have the ability to see around corners or they see a lot of people doing the same things and a lot of times making the same mistakes. Is there a common mistake that you see out there when it comes to strategy or when it comes to plan or any of the things that we've talked about that if you smack your forehead and, and you go like, if you just figured this out or if you just started here that you know so much of the other things would kind of fix themselves? Two really big ones. One of my favorite ones, not really, but is I always get the comment, well, that's why we've always done it. Well, okay. And that's why you're getting the same results. So if you're not willing to do something different, then you're not going to grow. Again, fail fast. You know, But whatever you're doing now isn't working. So that's a big one because you hear that in a lot of larger established organizations that just feel that they have it right and don't want to change the model. The other one, and again, this is with any size business, is they look at everything that they're doing from a technology standpoint, because I work primarily in e-commerce. They're building these phenomenal websites. They may not have taken the right process to determine what it should look like, but in any case, they're phenomenal websites. They're well-built, and they spend a lot of money on that, but then they don't tell anybody about it. So their marketing budget is almost like an afterthought. I have something that there's a few CEOs, if you were to interview them, would cringe when I have the conversations with them, but I tell them all the same thing. If you're in business, you do not want to be in the witness protection program. You want everybody to know you're in business, whether they would use your services or not. And that doesn't typically come out. They just want to hide or their target market is so small that they don't get that fringe purchase that would happen, whether it be B2B or B2C. They're just not doing that. I'll give you an example. One company I work with is primarily business to business. It's a photography industry and they're selling to professional photographers. However, during the holiday season, there's a huge influx of consumers. So if you don't adapt some of your marketing language to go after the consumer business, then while it may not be as profitable as that pro side, that is a substantial amount of money that you would just be giving away. And yet, when I came in as a CMO of that company, they weren't doing a lot on the consumer side and they were missing the boat in December. That's something you just, you can't do if you're in any type of consumer-driven business. And yet, well, we're primarily B2B. Okay, you want to throw away four or five million dollars a year? That's your choice. Or do you adapt? Those are two areas that I really see that they struggle with. Yeah, it seems like being honest with, I don't want to say yourself, but with your business, right? And being honest about going back to the data, right? What is the data saying? Are we hiding from the data or are we ignoring the data or are we leveraging it to be able to empower us to make better decisions? And that's kind of what you're talking about is leveraging that information to do that. And not bucking heads with it. So another example that's sort of just one aspect of marketing, I was competing with the parent company. So I'm running this little subsidiary. And in the email marketing, we were sending out 12 million emails a month to about a million unique users. We had almost a 30% open rate. Now, this other company that was sending out about 8 million a month on probably 3 or 4 million unique users, their open rate was like 22. So the CMO of the parent company called me and said, like, what are you doing? Well, obviously our content's better, our promotions are better, our timing is better because we have a better open rate. Our click-through rates are similar. Obviously our revenue wasn't going to be the same. But 
it was just something, again, where they were so ingrained, oh, I can't send out more than one email a week to these people. Well, our unsub rate's less than 1%. My new acquisition is about 2 I'm gaining every month. So be it. But yet, again, someone fixed in their ways. Somebody has said, you can't send more than one email a week to this particular group of people. And I was sending them four and five times a week. What a difference. And yet, we had a much higher open rate, which tells you that they weren't annoyed with us. Right. They actually went and looked. Mike, you've been... Every time I have the opportunity to chat with someone who's been doing this longer than I have, I always try and get a sense of what's new and what's the same. When you look at your time and you look at how you're working with companies, is there anything that you look back on that stayed the same since you've been started? And is there anything that you feel is definitively different now that we're in a time like today? Starting off with the easy one, when I started, and I ran one of the first dial-up bulletin board systems that I monetized, able to monetize it. So this is back in the late 80s, early 90s, where you had your computers or network computers, and people had to dial in on the phone to get to you. I was excited that we finally got 14.4 baud modems. We were dealing with 1,200 and things like that. So there's the thing that was the first aspect. Then, of course, the internet showed up. And we began to really get into digital marketing versus what that was. But you still needed to monetize it, right? If you're in business, you don't have a website. You know, it's not a museum. People aren't just supposed to go there and look. They're there to buy something. So as it progressed along, I think the biggest difference is that a lot of these organizations, and especially it's even truer today after the pandemic, more people go online for almost everything, whether it's just research. They may still go into a store to buy it, but they come in much more educated than they were 20 years ago. Sure. So from the marketing perspective, you still need to tell them things that they don't know and don't tell them things that they do or reinforce things that they do. And that can be a challenge, but it works. It works very well if you understand the fact that the whole world has really evolved to being primarily digital in nature. Now, if you lose your phone now, you cry. If you lose your wallet, you just, oh, I'll go get it tonight. You don't have your phone, you go back and get it. Mm. Yeah. Mike, this has been a fantastic conversation. If people want to go deeper into your world or get connected with you, is there anywhere they, they can follow up? They can go to digitalthatdelivers.com, just the way it sounds. That says a little bit about me. The website is primarily there to show functionality, and it does every bell and whistle you could possibly think of is there, but my contact information is there as well. Or, you know, you can follow me. You find me on LinkedIn. I have a pretty sizable audience there. I'm all through social media, but probably digital that delivers or LinkedIn. Just search for Mike McCormick. And honestly, that in LinkedIn is where I actually started when I went out on my own. So I was able to grow a business right from there. I love it. Well, guys, I would encourage you guys to go and get connected with Mike. If you guys enjoyed today's show, we'd love a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts. If you know someone who's running a business, thinking about starting one, send them this episode. And then if you have any feedback, questions, ideas for future topics or guests that you'd like to recommend, go ahead and send them our way as well. Thanks for being a part of the tribe, y'all. We'll see you on the next one. Later, guys. Later, guys.